This is Hockey Central 960 with Haley Salvian on your official home of the Flames, Sportsnet 960, The Fan. The final four is set in the NHL. Dallas Stars versus the Vegas Golden Knights in the Western Conference Final. That series kicks off on Friday. The Carolina Hurricanes and the Florida Panthers, that's your Eastern Conference Final. That series starts on Thursday. So we got a couple days of no hockey here. But also a couple days to start previewing what's to come, start looking back on what went wrong. Also some major votes happening. All that's coming up in the show today. We're going to have Saad Youssef from the Dallas Stars. Uh, he covers the Dallas Stars, excuse me, for The Athletic. He's going to join us here at the top of the hour in a few moments to uh, look at what went well for the Dallas Stars. Game 7, they win last night 2-1 to one against the Seattle Kraken. He's going to join us to dive into that and look ahead to that Western Conference Final. Uh, and it's locker clean-out day in Edmonton. The Oilers lose uh, against the Vegas Golden Knights in round two, Mark Spector covers the Oilers for Sportsnet, is going to join us later on in the show. Um, and then to look ahead, as you mentioned, a big vote. It's a huge night for the Arizona Coyotes. It is Tempe vote night, a special election to decide on the proposed $2.1 billion arena and entertainment district in Tempe. Um, I think... The easiest way to talk about the importance of this vote, like it is a vote on if they want to have the Coyotes around or not. That is my takeaway. That is my perception of this vote. They are voting on whether or not the arena can go forward in Tempe. A vote for no, it just seems like if the vote ends up being no tonight, this could be where it ends for hockey in the desert. It's been... 27 years there's been bankruptcies new ownership not a lot of team success um so major major implications on the board in tempe tonight the first batch of votes are expected to be in around 8 p.m in tempe we're gonna leave it at that for today but we're gonna have craig morgan on the show tomorrow at the top of the hour to discuss those results again because major implications coming there for the rest of the day though we are going to be talking about Dallas Stars against the Vegas Golden Knights. And then we will take a look at what went wrong and what comes next in Edmonton. So as I mentioned, Final Four is set. Dallas beat Seattle in Game 7 last night. Uh, Rope Hints gets a big goal, as he does for Dallas. I tweeted last night, he is perfect. Uh, I picked him to win the con Smythe, knock on wood. Don't want to jinx anything. But in our latest round of, of predictions... Latching on to him. He's second in playoff scoring right now, and he's just cruising. Uh, Wyatt Johnston, though, he gets the game winner. It was unbelievable. Uh, the play itself was great. I mean, Jamie Benn gets the dot first, which negates the icing. Uh, then Wyatt Johnston gets on the loose puck, goes backhand off the mask, top shelf series winner, Wyatt Johnston. He is 20 years old. Uh might be the youngest player in the playoffs right now, if not one of the youngest. Uh, and he got the series winner against Minnesota as well. And by the way, he was only 19 at the time. He just turned 20. So he gets the series winner in round one, series winner round two. Not a Calder Trophy finalist. Probably in people's top five, he'll probably end up being 
on the all-rookie team, but not a Calder Trophy finalist. Wyatt Johnson having a great year, big impact in the postseason, and Jake Ottinger, of course, was excellent for the Stars. He was 17 seconds away from a Game 7 shutout, but the Bjorkstrand goal spoiled it. He had to settle for, well, just a 9.57 save percentage. And uh, Pete DeBoer heading into this game was 6-0 and in Game 7s. Make that 7-0 and now. So lots to like about the Dallas Stars heading into that series. Again, we will talk to Saad coming up shortly a bit more about that series. Uh, talk a bit more about Jason Robertson. No goals in round two, just two in round one, both on the power play. There are signs that a breakout is on the way. He's generating offense. He's back in a line with Hintz and Pavelski. But we'll see. When's Jason Robertson going to break out in the playoffs? We want to see it. Uh, very quickly before we get to Saad, uh, the other conference final. Again, it's Carolina versus Florida. There is so much to like about this series. There are so many storylines here, potentially like Ter- Tevo Teravainen working his way back. One of those big three injuries we've all been talking about in Carolina is coming back after a broken hand and surgery. The Carolina Hurricanes also have been very good at home this season. They are 5-1 and one at home in the playoffs. But Florida's been really good on the road. They are 6-1 and one in the playoffs, so very much uh, a movable object meets an unstoppable force going on there. Which one's going to give? Both these teams play a really good forechecking style. The Canes kind of have the reliable, deep defensive style of play versus Florida's kind of chaotic, high-octane, star-powered group. So I think this could be a really interesting battle between these two teams, my favorite fun fact about this, I was doing some research into Rod Brindamore today, coach of the Carolina Hurricanes. Who has he played with? Who's he's coached with? You know, let's look back at Rod's history. Uh, in 2010, when he was still with the Canes, guess who his coach was? It was Paul Maurice, now the coach of the Florida Panthers, and they're going to coach against each other in the Eastern Conference Final. So thought that was a fun little nugget of course Paul Maurice was the head coach of the Carolina Hurricanes for a long time also Rod Brindamore's coach so thought that was a fun nugget uh but I do think we have Saad on the line so we will uh we will tee up more about the Eastern Conference final ahead of game one on Thursday but for now let's dive into the Dallas Stars with Saad Youssef he covers the Stars for the Athletic and he joins us now on the Atlas Pizza guest hotline Saad how we doing had a good night last doing night. Good, Haley. What's that? Have a nice night last night. <laughs> yeah, it was fun. It was fun. I was gonna say this is. It's nice for you to finally have me on after I had to watch Ryan Clark um, be on your show while I was just sitting there across the table from him. So um, <laughs> I'm glad I made the cut, though. So. <laughs> that was a Seattle Kraken day. We've had you on before, but yeah, Ryan did tell me that you guys were having lunch that day. I was like, well, tell Saad I say hello. You know, <laughs> didn't want to talk to him though. Yeah, no, no, I'm kidding. Uh, yeah, it was it was a great night last night, though. I mean, just for for the atmosphere, the you know, just the uh, just just the vibe in the building was just something that you know we haven't seen here in Dallas in a long time. Um, you know, I was talking recently with someone and, you know, I, I think from a hockey standpoint, a lot of people think about 2020 and the stars being in the Stanley cup final, but you have to remember it was 2020. And that means that it all came in the Edmonton bubble. 
Um, the last time, you know, the stars were, you know, doing anything like this was a long, long time ago. So, uh, it was definitely a different atmosphere at the AAC. You could tell the fans were all into it and, uh, and it was fun to watch. And you had a story recently on the athletic side that I wanted to get into just about how this 2023 group is special. And you never want to tell fans how to be a fan, but it was very much like, enjoy this one because this group and this playoff run is special. I mean, the Dallas stars are a legitimate cup contender. I mean, the math works out once you're in the final four, you can kind of get that, you know, label, but I think people were looking at them this way in round two, even in round one, this has been a really good year for Dallas. Uh, they're a deeper team this year. Jake Ottinger is playing great. There's a lot to like about the Dallas stars and, and your kind of story was about, you know, enjoy this one because this, this group is special. Why, why do you say that? Well, I mean, you know, even before, even before they had all the success, like I think when you look at the, there's a couple things that it, one coming into the playoffs, I think from a, from an expectation standpoint, they were almost uh, like close to overachieving. I think everyone, I think the expectation was definitely that they needed to make the playoffs. If they hadn't, that they, it would have been a failed season, but I don't think anybody was really expecting this was the year to, you know, be a final four team. This was the year that your younger players got a little more experience next year. You had a really high end prospect and Logan Stankoven coming in, um, maybe Maverick Bork, Thomas Harley was going to make the jump next year. And, you know, then next year was going to have the expectation. So my thing was, you know, this year the team is fun. They're, they they play a fun style of hockey. And, you know, we've talked about this before, as you, you will know very well, Haley, covering the team, uh, covering the Flames last year. The Stars don't always play, haven't always played a fun style of hockey. And so for me it was just, you know, enjoy this and get ready for, really what the following two, three, four years are going to have, which is going to be expectations for a legitimate uh, Stanley Cup run. Uh, but they but they definitely have kind of, you know, jumped the ship there. And, and by the way, I think a lot of it has to do, uh, another element of the fun was just everything that they have in the locker room. They have the old guy without a cup and Joe Pavelski, who, you know, <laughs> it, it, it's hard to hate on him. They have the, the young superstar who is just, you know, super charismatic in Jason Robertson. They have the young superstar who is one of the best at his position in Miro Heiskanen. Um, they have the young guy in Wyatt Johnston. They just had all these different pieces um, that really make for a fun playoff run to watch. Absolutely. And I mean, let's start digging into some of the individual players on Dallas. And, and let's start with Jake Ottinger because he was the backbone last night. Yes, Wyatt Johnston gets the game winner again, uh, series winner, I should say, again. And we can get to that in a moment. But Ottinger almost had the shutout. He's so calm, cool, collected. When the, the spotlight gets brighter, he steps up. Just how important was he last night and how important has he been to Dallas's postseason success this year? He's been really important. I mean, he was especially important last night because, you know, obviously the Kraken are a team that come at you in waves. They're a team that, that plays really fast, and you need your goaltender to, to be a rock back there. And I think, you know, the, the messaging with Pete Bohr was he pulled Jake Ottinger in game six or pretty early, early in the second period when uh, the Kraken went up four to one. And it was really a message to the team. It, Ottinger got pulled in game two, in game three, in the series as well. And that was because Ottinger just had a really bad game that game. But in game six, Ottinger was fine. But 
DeBoer's message to the team was that I'm basically pulling this goaltender who is very widely regarded, highly regarded in the locker room because the rest of the team just didn't show up. And so they were really inspired and, and definitely played that way last night, you know, in front of Ottinger. And then when Ottinger had to make the big saves as he, as he typically does, he came up big in the clutch moments. He came up big in the second period when the stars were finally able to crack through instead of, you know, allowing Seattle to score the first goal. So um, he had big moments last night and he really was the backbone. I want to talk about Rope hints. He's, Nine goals, 19 points in the postseason so far. At five on five, the Stars have way more high danger chances. They have way more chances in general. They win the expected goal battle. Like the ice tilts in Dallas's favor. And so does the score sheet when Hints is on the ice. And I just don't know if he's a guy that gets enough national attention and respect and appreciation for what he does so i just wanted to say like let's hear it what what tell me about rope hints and what makes him special yeah i mean he's a he's a top five to ten two-way centerman in the league and i don't think he gets that recognition um if you want to go back to last year going in before last year's season ended um shana goldman and i did an article about his selkie case and in that article, Dean Evison had a quote um, where he said they, when the Wild play against him, they prepare for him the way that they prepare against Connor McDavid. And then when, uh, just earlier today, Bruce Cassidy had his first press conference, and he said Rope Hintz is the, is the closest thing left to Connor McDavid in these playoffs. And so when you're talking about underrated, I think it's mostly from the outside. I think coaches – and players that compete against him know just how great he is. And, you know, the, the production is good. Like, like you said, 19 points. He's one point behind McDavid for the, for the uh, playoff lead, which obviously he's going to get here as the, as the third round gets going. But I think it's more about everything else. It's more about his defense, his complete game. When you talk about I, – I think Max Domi had the best uh, description of Rope Hintz, which is honestly one that I've used before as well. If you – created a player in NHL Live or in any video game, Rope Hintz is the player that you would create. Um, he's very strong defensively. He has all the tangible tools. We talk a lot about guys like, for example, Joe Pavelski, who you're, who you're definitely enamored with the production, and he's great and everything, but it's a lot of him overcoming some of his physical deficiencies, not being able to skate as well, not being as fast, whatever. With Rope Hintz, he has the smarts, he has the IQ, and he has the defense, but he also has the speed and the skating. He's pretty much, you know, one of the most perfect hockey players that you can have in the NHL. And he's pretty reliable in the sense of, so he opened the scoring for the Stars last night, and he's done that three times now in the playoffs. <laughs> and I mean, that's, that's, a pretty good, uh, that's a pretty good card to have in your pocket is having your number one center trying to get you on the board first. Only Dreisaitl has more opening goals in the playoffs this year so not bad for yeah (laughs) no and i think you know the game that i that i would even point to is if you go back to game two against the wild that's the that's the definitive rope hints game in my opinion because he had an even strength goal a power play goal and a shorthanded goal for a hat trick (laughs) and that basically shows exactly what hints is he he's able to play in every situation and he does damage everywhere yeah, I tweeted last night that he's perfect. That was it. Yeah. Just Rope Hints is perfect. 
That's the analysis that I provide. I think it's spot on. Max Domi agrees. <laughs> yeah, thanks, Max Domi. Um, okay, so Wyatt Johnston, not a Calder Trophy finalist, but he's got two series winners at 19 years old and 20 years old. I haven't fact-checked this, but you've got to imagine he's like the youngest guy left in the playoffs at this point. I've got to check that before I say these things on the radio. If he's not the youngest, it's one of the youngest. Uh, he's just been such a pleasant, not a pleasant surprise, just a, a pleasure to watch. I mean, the game winner, series winner last night. I mean, Jamie Bendigates the icing. <laughs> uh, Johnson goes, gets the puck, goes backhand off the mass top shelf. Like, that's that's a just an elite goal by Wyatt Johnson. He's just been so impressive. Yeah, I mean, I, I thought your tweet summed it up pretty well when you asked just what did what did you do with like six question marks or something. So like, I mean, that's just kind of the reaction. What what's that? Yeah, just what just happened here? Yeah, I mean, like you know, Pete DeBoer talked about it after the game because I asked him about Wyatt Johnson in general, and he kind of brought it back to the goal, and he was like, he was like, wait, like let's talk about that goal for a second because that's not just a goal. Like as, as Pete DeBoer and I quote, he said, it's an elite world-class play and it's done by a kid who literally turned 20 years old the day before he scored that goal. So um, (laughs) I I think, you know, that's the thing is, is Wyatt Johnson's been, is very young, but he somehow seems to get better and better um, as the playoffs go, go along. And I think, you know, that would be impressive in any vacuum and, uh, I, and I don't mean this in any disrespect to any other player, but when you look around the league, and, and you know what, you don't even have to look around the league. You look on the Stars roster, there are young players who have produced at a high clip in the regular season that it hasn't translated to the playoffs. And for Wyatt Johnston, at 19 years old, to do what he's done, he scored his first goal of the playoffs in Game 6 against the Wild, and now he has four. So he literally just keeps getting better and he keeps getting more confident, which is great for the stars. And not a Calder trophy finalist, which I guess it's because he didn't have the same amount of points as other players, but he had, I think the exact same amount of goals as Maddie Beniers in the regular season on a really good <laughs> cup contending team in Dallas. So that was a little puzzling to me why he wasn't a top three rookie of the year candidate. Yeah, that was, you know, for me, I I think I had him at fourth and, you know, I I didn't have a problem with Stuart Skinner, the way that he came along and, and Owen power and what he did in Buffalo. But, but, but you're right. Like, you know, Wyatt Johnson led the rookies along with veneers in goal scoring with 24. I think, uh, I think it's just that Dallas had so much more firepower um, throughout the roster that Wyatt Johnson got a little overshadowed because, he uh, officially what the label is that he plays on the third line. Really, he's a top six forward for the team in minutes, points, all that kind of stuff. But technically, he plays on the third line. And so I think he I think he got overshadowed a little bit there. Also, he plays in Dallas, so that plays a role as well. But, you know, and he went head-to-head against Matty Beniers. And, and I think Beniers, if I'm not mistaken, had seven points in 14 games or so. And, and we kind of saw what Wyatt Johnson has done in these playoffs and shown that he's every bit as great of a rookie as, as anybody else in the league. So on paper, yeah, it looks like Wyatt Johnson's, you know, quote-unquote on the third line. Uh, same with a, a guy like Evgeny Dadnov, who you said was one of the most noticeable players last night. And I think that just speaks to an overall 
trend or improvement with this Dallas Stars team compared to last year? You know, when you and I were doing our round two, our round one, excuse me, previews between the Flames and the Stars, it was like, well, if you shut down the top line, then you're probably going to have a good time because that was really all the stars truly had last season. That is not the case this year. I mean, you can even look to Thomas Harley on the third D pair. You know, he's putting up points in the second round. Like, up top to bottom, the Dallas Stars have guys making meaningful contributions. Just how improved is the depth of the Dallas Stars year over year? Uh, it's, it's extremely improved. And I think, you know, the, the number one way that you can kind of gauge how, how much better the depth is this year is that their Hart Trophy candidate, 109-point scorer, has, has been pretty quiet in the playoffs. I, you know, Jason Robertson, it's a weird thing to say about Robertson as well, though, because he's literally the second leading scorer on this team in the playoffs behind Hintz. So it's like, you know, there's this weird paradox. It's just he did so much damage on the power play against the Wild. At even strength, he's, he's been struggling quite a bit. But, um, but even in, in the Seattle series, he, had, he didn't score a goal, but he did have five assists. And so he has, you know, he has 12 points. But to your point about the depth, like, you know, last year, if the high-end player didn't score and didn't do well, then there wasn't, you know, if Jake Ottinger doesn't stay on his head, that series doesn't even go seven. This year... You have Wyatt Johnston chipping in. You have Max Domi, who has been a really good addition. Uh, Evgeny Dadanov, who has played really well. And like you said, I think I thought he set the tone last night. He was just uh, a, just a relentless forechecker to begin the game and, and the way that he kind of you know carried that momentum and all that stuff. So, um, yeah, they're a very deep team. And Thomas Harley play, didn't come up. I, I believe he only played six games in the regular season this year, uh, came up super late. And now he's literally the second best defenseman on the team behind Miro Haskin. And so um, the depth that the <laughs> Stars have, uh, I, I would say they don't have as much depth on the blue line behind Haskinen and Harley. They, they get some contributions every now and then from Suter and Lindell and Hockenpah and Miller and those guys. But, um, but especially up front at forward, they, they truly do run three lines deep. And the fourth line is not anything to, to joke about either. So to follow up on Jason Robertson, I mean, no goals in the second round, as you mentioned. Two in the first round, both were on the power play. But I do think that there are signs that a breakout, at least when we're talking about goal scoring, because that's what we think about typically when we think about Jason Robertson, at least on the outside. Um, He's a goal scorer on that line. He does it so well. Um, I was looking at his five-on-five production. So he's had 24 individual shot attempts at five on five 22 shots on goal so his shots aren't getting blocked they're getting to the net they're not misfiring so the accuracy is there in the sense that it's getting to the net but he's got zero goals so he's going at a zero percent clip i mean in all situations he was a 15 percent shooter in the regular season uh five percent shooter in the playoffs, I mean, it's just got to be a matter of time for this guy to get on the board in the third round, don't you think? Yeah, I do. And, and there was there was a you know you th- you're absolutely right. There have been signs throughout the playoffs as well, and especially throughout this round. And one that really came last night, you know, he had that he had that one chance that was a very prototypical Jason Robertson chance where he was lingering around the net. Miro Haskin and got the puck, and he just flicked it at the net. And, and it, you know, it almost went in. And so it, it's coming. And with Robertson, he's a player that, again, we were talking about Rope Hintz and how he has 
all those tangible tools of skating and speed, and he's able to create that time and space. I think, you know, that's a buzzword that gets used in NHL playoffs a lot is time and space. Well, a guy like Hintz can create that, and Robertson has never, you know, a lot. I've seen a lot of people be critical of his skating and his speed, and I think that's very uh, unfair because it's, it's very results-oriented. This is the same, you know, speed and skating skill that Robertson had when he scored 109 points in the regular season. He's not all of a sudden slowed down. This is just what he does. It's just his game is taking longer to adjust to the playoffs. I think once he finds those open windows, and, you know, you know that's a great stat by you on, on just, you know, the fact that his shots aren't getting blocked. But I, but I think one thing that is happening and that we're seeing a little bit is that his shots are a little bit rushed. He's not as calm and he's not as collected when he's making, you know, he's not able to like dice up and calculate the defense the way that he did in the regular season. He's rushing things a little bit more. And that's what puts, puts the shots not exactly where, you know, they were when he was shooting them in the regular season. So I do think it's just a matter of time though. And, uh, you know, I think the, the players, in the locker room have gotten pretty frustrated with the criticism that Robertson has received. And, you know, in the last, last couple of games or so players have really been, you know, coming out and strong in his defense because they feel like he's doing all the right things. It's just a matter of time before the puck starts going in. So exactly a year ago today, Pete DeBoer was fired by the Vegas Golden Knights. He's about to face off against his former team in the third round of the playoffs. I, I mean, let's talk a bit about the Pete DeBoer impact on the Dallas Stars. We know that when he first takes over a team, his teams go the distance, right? He did it in San Jose, Dallas, or he did it in San Jose, New Jersey, excuse me, and Vegas. And it looks like he's doing it in Dallas. Knock on wood. They either get to the conference final or the Stanley Cup final in the first year or two of Pete DeBoer taking over. We are seeing that happen right now, obviously, with the Stars making it to the conference final. How has he positively impacted things for the Stars? Yeah, first first of all, we had a and there was a funny moment earlier today when we talked to DeBoer because somebody brought that up and and he was like, "Well, I just want to remind everybody that I also went to the conference finals in San Jose in my fourth year." and also went to the conference finals in Vegas in my second year as well. So um, he, I, I don't think he, I don't think he likes the label um, of just, you know, first year wonder type thing, but, but, but it hey, is Hey, I true. said I mean, early you know, years, <laughs> early yeah, years, I mean, year you, one and two, maybe four or whatever, but year one and two for sure. Yeah, no, for sure. And, and I think that's just, you know, his impact has been great. I think the way that he's, the way that he his calm demeanor, he's been there before. Um, the way that he plays the psychological game with the players, with his own players, in a very positive way as well, has been very clear. So to give you just a very recent example, in Game Six, Essa Lindell was on the on the ice for five goals against, uh, five of the six goals against. He said after the game, it was probably the worst game that he's he can remember that he's played uh, in the NHL. So what does Pete DeBoer do? He starts him in game seven um, on the ice with Colin Miller. And, you know, we've seen this over and over again with Pete DeBoer. The opening faceoff that um, the Stars took at the beginning of the season in their season opener, Wyatt Johnston, a 19-year-old rookie, took the opening faceoff. Um, when they played in Toronto, uh, Pete DeBoer had a full Ontario lineup in the starting lineup. These are the kind of little things that he does to kind of you know, get with his players and, and kind of, you know, work them mentally as well as just the X's and O's, which 
you know, we can talk about the X's and O's all day, but there's a lot of good hockey coaches that do that. But I think he's done a really good job of managing, um, managing, you know, personalities. He's done a good job of remaining calm. And I think his greatest test in doing that was in the aftermath of uh, Joe Pavelski's injury in the first round. Um, DeBoer was extremely calm and, and he didn't, he didn't shake up the lineup. He didn't do anything like that. And I think the team kind of wears that kind of demeanor on, uh, on their sleeve when they see their head coach doing it. For Lindell, that's probably such a nice confidence booster or just like a men it's refreshing mentally for a guy who's having a difficult time to know that your coach isn't going to pull you from the lineup. You're not gripping your stick anymore. It's like, okay, he trusts me to go back out there. I'm going to go play my game. Everything's okay. Because I could imagine putting him in the press box. Then the next time he gets in, he's overthinking it because it's like, oh, God, I don't want to do this again. I don't want to sit again. It's little things like that that seems to really work for for players and a coach. Yeah, absolutely. And, and like I said, there's examples littered throughout the season. Anytime a player comes back from an injury, they're instantly in the starting lineup. Uh, we've seen that over and over again. Uh, Mason Marchman, when he went back to Florida, he was in the starting lineup. Um, you know, just all these little things that I know starting lineup's not a big deal, but when you talk about like, you know, another example in game two against the wild, the stars go down. Oh, one, they just lost their third leading score in Joe Pavelski and elite and, and one of their top leaders and DeBoer didn't rip the officiating. He didn't do any of that stuff. And then also the day after game one, he came out and he was like, Hey, you know, if we lose game two, that's fine. As long as we play good hockey, that's all that matters. And I remember sitting there and I was like, there's no way that you actually believe that you lose both games at home and go to Minnesota down 0-2, that that's okay. But that is the aura that, you know, DeBoer kind of expresses because he wants to make sure that everyone else behind them stays calm as well. That's awesome. Uh, just a couple more minutes left here with you, Saad. Final question. What are the keys for the Stars in this round three series against the Vegas Golden Knights? Well, I think they're going to have to they're they're going to have to score. I mean, you know, I I think I, I think they have the opportunity to do that with Vegas's goaltending situation. Not that it's bad, but you know, they're they are down to their third guy and stuff like that. So I think when you when you look at it, they need to make sure that they're scoring goals and not relying getting overly reliant on Jake Ottinger because I think Vegas has a really good lineup and skaters, and and they're going to get their own as well. Um, I, I I think. Dallas has the has the huge benefit of going into the third round somehow. I, I don't know how they keep doing this, but um, you know they began the playoffs with a fully healthy roster and lineup. Every single player that was available on starting on, on opening night was available on the beginning of the playoffs, and they're once again every single player is available. Uh, no LTIR, no IR, nothing. Every single player is there at, at their disposal uh, to begin the conference finals, which again is kind of unheard of and so for me it's all those guys they need to they need to really um show up and and they need to score goals and i think jason robertson needs to get going i think rope hints and joe pavelski have shown what they can do but um but yeah i think the depth of the lineup it, it has been critical for the stars thus far and i think it's going to continue to be that way especially against a, a very talented vegas team awesome stuff Saad. thank you so much for doing this sorry to keep you waiting we like you just as much as we like Ryan Clark on this on this radio station. No, all good. Always happy to hop on with you, Haley. 
All right. There goes Saad Youssef, covers the Dallas Stars for the Athletic. Super comprehensive stuff from Saad looking at the Stars team heading into the Western Conference final. That series begins on Friday. And that conversation with Saad is brought to you by Atlas Pizza and Sports Bar using the same secret recipe since 1975. You can dine in at 6060 Memorial Drive Northeast, takeout or delivery at 403-248-3344. We're going to head to a quick break and when we come back we are going to be joined by Mark Spector. He covers the Oilers for Sportsnet.ca. It was Oilers Locker Cleanout Day get some takeaways from Mark on that look ahead to what comes next in Edmonton after their round two loss to Vegas. That's coming up next on hockey central on sports at nine sixty. the fan. You're listening to hockey central nine sixty with Haley Salvian on your home of the flames Sportsnet nine sixty. the fan. All right. Hockey central continues here on Sportsnet nine sixty as we shift from the conversation about the Dallas stars and the Vegas Golden Knights heading into the Western Conference final. We're going to look at the Canadian team that could have been there. It's locker cleanout day in Edmonton. The Oilers lose in round two to the Vegas Golden Knights to break it all down. We are joined now by Mark Spector on the Atlas Pizza guest hotline. He's a senior columnist for sportsnet.ca in Edmonton. Mark, thanks so much for doing this. How are you doing? Good, Haley. What's going on down there? Uh, not a whole lot, you know, just there's only four teams left, no Canadian teams. So, you know, the world stops, I guess. <laughs> yeah, the northernmost team left is in Las Vegas. Can you believe that? Yeah, it makes, you know, I don't hate it as much as I think I've seen. Obviously, I would love to see a Canadian team win a Stanley Cup as a Canadian. It's been, you know, since 1993. Uh, but I think it's kind of fun. We got a Sun Belt Final Four. I think the matchup should be good. Obviously, I'm sure. I mean, I'm sure in Edmonton, people would be happier for the Oilers. I don't know how people in Calgary are feeling, though. I don't know if they feel good about this or they're like, uh, they were our last shot. I'm not sure. <laughs> well, you need a, you know what? I always say that the NHL playoffs, the battle that they have is, just, is that interest tends to wane from the first round to the fourth, as opposed to the Super yeah. Bowl, where it, it goes uphill to the Super Bowl, right? Yeah. And really, no matter who's in the Super Bowl, everyone's pumped for it, and we all watch it and have parties, and it's awesome. And in hockey, the risk you run is you get left with four, you know, there's certainly no Canadian interest here, right? There's no reason, for, even if Calgary's in it or Edmonton's in it or Vancouver, the rest of the country can say, hey, let's cheer for the Canadian team. We don't have that. Uh, and I'll yeah. be honest with you, the size of the fan bases in Florida, in Carolina, in Dallas, in Vegas, they're... You know, they're good fans, and they pack their buildings, and they got good teams. They deserve to be there. But outside of that arena, how big are those fan bases? They're, they're minuscule. They would be, all be in the mm-hmm. bottom 10 in the league. So that's that's not great for business, but you know what? There's one solution, right? Calgary Flames got to get better and get there, and the Edmonton Oilers have to get better and get there. Yeah. Toronto Maple Leafs, Montreal Canadiens, et cetera, et cetera. That's, that's, the, sure. that's, the, that's the fix-all, obviously, in this market, we hope. It's uh, somebody from Alberta, at the very least. Um, mm-hmm. You've been at Locker Cleanout, though, today, Mark. Uh, heard from Dry Seidel, McDavid, uh, you know, usual suspects. What? Uh, sorry to start so open on you, but what were kind of the key takeaways of the day? Well, I think the key takeaways here, Andy, are that, you know, there, there's a special sauce to winning in the playoffs. And 
it goes beyond scoring goals. You know, scoring's not an issue with this Edmonton team. But they gave, they were scored on by Vegas in a lot of instances in, in goals that the Vegas Golden Knights didn't have to make great plays. You know, I'm not going to say that they gave the games away. Las Vegas took the games, right? March so got a hat trick and made three nice plays and scored three goals in the second period. None of them were plays where you walked to the building and go, oh my God, what a play Marchessault made. You know, he was left alone over here. He was unchecked over there. He took a wrist shot that should have got saved over here. Uh, good player. He, he delivered in the clutch. But when you're Edmonton and you look back at the field, you go, every one of those goals was, was really, really preventable. We didn't get beat by a team that strung together four or five awesome plays and scored a goal by no means. Mm-hmm. So, you know, as Matthias Ekholm said, we got to find a way to win a game 2-1, to win a game one nothing, just not to lose a game that we've got to hang on to. And he felt like they needed four to win every night against Vegas, and you can't go into the playoffs thinking, I'm getting four every night, you know, four times out of seven games. That's not how playoff hockey works. Right. You know, it's interesting because I think heading into the playoffs, it almost looked like... You know, there was a lot of people, particularly at the Athletic, who picked the Edmonton Oilers to go all the way, win the Stanley Cup. And I think part of the reason was on paper, this looked like more of a complete Oilers team than we'd mm-hmm. seen in recent years. That loss in the first round or the second round of the playoffs, obviously they get swept last year by the Avs, but it's the Avs. So you can kind of go, eh, well, yeah, Colorado was a powerhouse and they won the Cup. But this year almost seems a bit more disappointing, despite the fact that you can see the progress, just because they looked like the most complete team on paper that they had. But then you get to the postseason, and, I mean, Nugent Hopkins wasn't as effective. Kane, Hyman, Yamamoto, like guys kind of dropped off, and everything that looked so good on paper maybe necessarily wasn't there. Was that like a big issue or, you know, a point in Edmonton? Well, I think I, certainly it's easy to look at the stat sheet and say that certain guys didn't produce. Now, we don't know how injured they were. I'll tell you that Kane was – I don't think I watched Kane carry a puck from one zone to the next the entire playoffs. I think he had a, a broken thumb or finger or something. He was could barely play. And he found ways to impact the series. I'll give Kane credit. He was very physical, and he got under Petrangelo's skin, and but he wasn't scoring for you. Uh, Hyman ran into some injury issues, but he needs to do better offensively. Nugent Hopkins, no excuses. Didn't compete hard enough, wasn't good enough, full stop. But I guess what I'm saying to you, Haley, is what happens is all these, some of the offensive guys, every year some of your offensive guys are going to hit a drought or they're going to get hurt or they're going to get shut down. So you need to be able to compensate for that on the other side of the puck, right? You can't continue to give up three three a night the way you did in the regular season when you were scoring five every night. And and that's the end of the game that the Oilers have to figure out. When, when you know, they, they beat Vegas twice, they allowed one goal each game. They lost the other four, they averaged five against each game. You know, you give up five in a playoff game, you lose every night. So that's their deal. They need, their goaltending has to come along. And I'm going to say more even than the goaltending, and people will disagree with me, but more even than the goaltending, the defensive play among the whole team has to get up to Stanley Cup level if they want to win a Stanley Cup. Sure. You know, I know that the goaltending wasn't pristine. I mean, you're talking about games where, sure, they only let in one goal, but then games where, you know, they're getting beat by five. But still, like, is this is this Stuart Skinner's team going forward? Like, what do you think – 
the way that things went down the stretch for this team means for the goalie picture and Jack Campbell. Obviously, both guys are are locked in. So, is it going to stay the stay the course and Campbell's just the backup, or what happens next there? Do you think? No, I think it'll be an open competition next year, and I, I honestly believe Haley that there should be and there is an evolution of goaltending coming here. Like, let's talk about the Bruins. They use two guys all year, and then they get to the playoffs and they fall into that that dinosaur hockey man's thinking that I have to play one guy every day in the playoffs, right? Yeah. And it didn't work for them. They lost. They put Swayman in the last game. It was too late. And the Edmonton Oilers really did the same thing. Campbell, the Skinner never played 12, started 12 games in a row in the season, but he did in the playoffs and he ran out of gas. So mm-hmm. I think what you'll see around hockey is, in my opinion anyway, a system where surely we're seeing already teams playing two goalies during the season. And we all remember Markstrom played. What did he play that year? The Oilers beat him. Didn't he play like <sighs> 62 games like, or something like that? Yeah, and I remember Jay Woodcroft like very specifically said, well, right. it's not like our guys played 62 games this year. Like yeah. he, he knew the number on the dot. <laughs> yeah, the smartest guy in the room who then played his goalie far too much in the playoffs the next year. I'll note. <laughs> um, but anyway... You know what? I think we're figuring it out in regular season, right? We're figuring it out yeah. in regular season. And I think we're going to start to figure it out in the playoffs. So when you look at the Edmonton Oilers and you say, okay, Jack Campbell, uh, Jack Campbell's a better goalie than he was this year. I think he'll bounce back. Stuart Skinner, this is his first playoff run. He's young and he's a kid. He's a goalie of the future here. He wasn't the goalie of the present. Uh, I think you'll see those two guys battle it out next season. And I think when the playoffs start, I think you'll see them both play in a postseason. Mm-hmm. We just uh, heard from producer Kim. It was 63 games. There you go. I said 62. That's pretty close. Yeah. <laughs> not a bad, not a bad one. Very close there. Um, you know, saw one of the quotes from the locker cleanout day from Connor McDavid, just talking about how it's a, it's a, it's progress, right? You know, maybe it doesn't feel like it today, but it is. We're a better team than we were last year. Everyone's coming back. They're building experience. Like, do you, do you agree with him? Like, do you see the season as an improvement in this growing process, or do you look at this as a missed opportunity when the playoffs are pretty wide open? You could have picked anybody that was in the postseason, you know, as of round two. Last week, any of those teams, you could have said, yep, I'm going to go with them, and they probably – you could have made a good case. It was it was wide open. So how do you look at this, Mark? Well, I mean, I think it's both. You know, so you can't deny to me that it's not a, a, an opportunity missed when you look at – now, I, I want to say to you – Vegas won the West, right? Best team in the West in the regular season. Dallas was, I think, one point behind Colorado in the Central. Carolina won their division. So there's three of the four teams left are pretty good teams here. We're not looking at Mm -hmm. Florida's the only eighth-place team in the mix here. And they've just happened to beat the Bruins. So anyhow, for sure, it's always a a missed opportunity because the Oilers are at a point where they should be one of those teams. But do you... You know, do you learn from this? Of course you learn from this. Like, they learned, this team learned a lot about being this high-flying offensive team here. Uh, they, I heard from every guy that spoke today a genuine feeling like we have to figure out how to take care of business in our own end, how to play a staunch, stronger, uh, you know, figure out how to be the, maybe we don't lead the league in scoring, but we got to figure out how to protect our goalies, how to protect the lead, and how to win a playoff game two to one. And you can say it all you want, but I think the Oilers learned the hard way this year that all the things they've improved on here and all the stuff they've done right 
That's one thing they didn't have in their quiver against the Vegas Golden Knights. They could not lock down a game that they were leading in that series. And that is the next, and I will say to you, maybe the final step for this team. Lock it down. When you get a 2-1 lead, a 3-1 lead, it has to last. And in Edmonton, those leads don't last so long. (laughs) Makes it kind of exciting if you're a fan in the building until the series is over and you're like, wait a second, what happened? I liked the high-flying. Right. They're so excited. They're a great team to watch. I'm, I'm honored. Like, I'm so lucky to cover a team that, you know, look at all the fun they are to watch. But winning is more fun, right? The most fun thing when you're a team is winning, not putting up six. And they have to figure out how to have fun winning now, not just winning heart trophies and our Ross trophies. So if the, you know, locking it down defensively, you know, getting improvements in that, if those are the biggest areas to improve, what would you say are the biggest positives to draw out of this season? Uh, well, I think you have a, I'm going to say you have probably have a young franchise goalie. I mean, I know goalies are voodoo here, Haley, but I'm going to say that, <laughs> that Stuart Skinner looks to me like you just might have a 10-year goalie here. Uh, so that's a positive. You know, you might have your Demko, right? You might sure. have your, I'm, I'm not going to say he's Ottinger because Ottinger is at another level, but you might have that <laughs> young guy that you, that you drafted that turns out to be your number one for a long, long time. That's a huge, huge positive here. Um, and you know, after that, I'm trying to think of some young guys, you know what? I don't know what to tell you. Like, <laughs> you know what? You got a goalie and it's a place to start. The, 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 the yeah. changes they need to make are small. There's some fine sure. tuning around here, but the mm-hmm. progress you need to make is big from the second round to the fourth round. Right? So it's not like you're going to change out six players here, but you better change out the right two if you're going to get this done. Sure. Do you think Evan Bouchard took steps in the right direction this season? Yeah, there's one I missed. Absolutely. For sure. You know, look (laughs) at Evan Bouchard. Holy cow. Uh, Very much so. You know, the trade you make for Matthias Ekholm is a brilliant trade because he's got three years left in his deal. And he's such a good player. Like, he is a fabulous defenseman. So, for sure, he's an anchor and a rock on your team now. Evan Bouchard plays next to him, and his game has just come along. He's looking like such a nice young player. You're, you know, he has to get signed this summer for sure. So, tons, you know, there's lots of positives. The the Pugliarvi experiment came to an end this year. God bless the kid. Off he goes. Let's hope that he figures it out somewhere else. Uh, they've got a young guy here, Dylan Holloway. They got to work into their lineup next year. They're they're like every team. They've got some kids on the farm that are ripening, and you got to try to find a place for them. Philip Broberg, you know, they need to play this guy or move this guy, but you can't keep holding on to a very young kid and then putting him in in the most important playoff game of the year and expecting him to sink or swim. That's probably not fair. So, you know, this big DRNA kid, he, he reminds me of Zadorov in Calgary, uh, came yeah. off the farm, big, lanky, tough, pretty decent, okay defensively, you know, had some gaffes this year, but it's his first year. So, sure, they brought along some kids up here. Yeah, and then at the top, you've got uh, just Connor McDavid and Leon Dreisaitl, so... Things look all right in yeah. Edmonton. <laughs> yeah, right. And a good core, like Zach Hyman, is a is a really, really good player. And, you know, I was very disappointed in Nugent Hopkins' playoffs, but he's a 104-point player this season, and he makes that power play sing. And Evander Kane was hurt all year long, and it was a bit of a write-off for him, I'll tell you. But I don't mind Evander Kane either. He's turned into a pretty good player here, Haley. 
better than I thought he'd be. Yeah, totally. Yep, lots of lots of meaningful. Just a lot of there's like star power and more meaningful depth, I would say, in Edmonton than I think we could have said a couple of years ago. Yeah, they got some meat and potatoes. This Bukestad came in. So look at there. It's such a fine line. Like I remember Ken Hitchcock used to say to me, "It's easy to make the playoffs." When he was in St. Louis, says anyone can make the playoffs, <laughs> and I would think to myself, "Oh yeah, I'm in Edmonton. They're not making the playoffs." Um, <laughs> but it's, it's it's easy to make the playoffs. But then. To, to do something in the playoffs, it's a whole completely different step to take. And, and the orders are well down that road. You know, their last step is, as Settle said today, it's cup or bust. And it's fair. I don't think I'm, it's, it's not, I'm not overstating it to say that this team is indeed at the point where it is, as Hyman said today, either we win the cup or it's another failed season. And that's fair. Yeah. And I like to, I like to hear a team that approaches it that way. They're not, they're not padding uh, the fall in any way. Hyman said it today, either we win the cup or it's a failure. And uh, I'm kind of looking forward to seeing how that unfolds. Absolutely. Well, we'll have to check in with you as we continue watching how this team goes next season. Thanks so much for doing this, Mark. All right, Andy. Take care. Thank you. There goes Mark Spector, senior columnist with Sportsnet.ca, covers the Oilers. There's a chance that this was the gut punch that we see from teams, you know, the gut punch that happens before they find success. Uh, but as he said, if you want to watch a Canadian team win the Stanley Cup, got to get Edmonton going better. Flames got to look better next year. Final four. It's the Sun Belt Final Four. Vegas, Carolina, Florida, and Dallas. If you want to go watch those games, at least it's going to be nice weather. It's going to be warm. There's your... Uh, that's nice, right? It's not a Canadian team, but you can go watch and be in a warm spot, I guess. But that's all the time that we have on the show here for Hockey Central today. Sportsnet 960 The Fan.